0: The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg.
1: We are in the middle of chapter 44. Last week we started. The last chapter we learned there are two, two different types of loves that a Jew has to Hashem. One is a great love, which is a gift that comes from above. It's not man-made, it's not something that we can achieve on our own. It's a gift, a love of ecstasy, where you're simply ecstatic and find so much pleasure in godliness. This is a gift from Hashem. A love of ecstasy, an all-consuming love of ecstasy godliness almost like an end in itself almost like a reward just having the pleasure of just being together with God and just feeling so ecstatic about godliness this is a gift it's not humanly achievable because we get ecstatic about other things naturally we don't get ecstatic about godliness godly things
2: well some of us do
1: well maybe you have that (laughs) gift maybe you have that gift This is a gift that comes from Hashem. When a person has done everything that's humanly possible, then your whole being, your whole personality becomes completely transformed in this love of pleasure, love of delight. Then, theres that's what he calls Ava Rabba, the great love, the great um, intense love. Then you have what he calls Ava's Ailan, a love that comes from the world from understanding and appreciating how God is the soul of the world and, and, uh, and therefore you have a love, you develop a love towards Hashem. This is a love that your mind develops. You develop through meditation, through reflection, through contemplation. You dwell, you focus until you develop a love, an attraction, appreciation towards Godliness. That was chapter 43. Last week we started chapter 44, where he says that there are two types of loves which are a combination of the first love, Avarabba, and the second love, Ava rabba comes from above. It's a gift. Ava, the love that we develop, cultivate through our mind there are as many types of loves as there are Jews. Because every one of us is a unique personality, a unique individual. And therefore, we also have our unique paths, our unique gates to Hashem. And we develop a relationship with Hashem, develop a feeling towards a love towards Hashem. We think differently, we process information differently, no two people look alike, so every one of us has a unique path to God. When it comes to the mitzvah, we're all, we're all alike. The mitzvah, we have a code of Jewish law that spells out clearly how we're supposed to light the Shabbos candles, how we're supposed to put on the tefillah. Whether you're Moses, or you're a cobbler or a tailor, whether you're a 13-year-old or a 99-year-old, there's no difference. When it comes to the law, the law is applicable all across the board, equally applicable. When it comes to the matters of the heart, the inner, the soul, there's no code of Jewish law because everyone has a unique soul, everyone has a unique mind, everyone has a unique approach to Hashem. So there are as many types of loves as there are Jews. But then, he said, there's, a, there's two, two loves which are a combination of these two loves. On one hand, it's a gift, but on the other hand, because it's something that we're born with as Jews, it's part of our nature, it's our, part of our inherent nature. On the other hand, you have to use your mind to be able to develop, to be able to evoke this love, this natural instinctive love. So the first love that we discussed last week was the love of, because God is my soul. As Isaiah says, my soul yearns. I yearn for you. As Zohar says, it makes no sense. I, I yearn for you a double repetition and the Zohar explains that the proper interpretation of the verse is, nafshi, my soul doesn't, it's not me, I but Isaiah is speaking to God he's saying God, nafshi, you are my soul therefore I desire you when you realize that God is your soul just like the body has a soul What's the body without the soul? The body is a corpse. We hunger for life. We desire life. The deepest pleasure is the desire to live. We want life. We take it for granted. But if God forbid our life is threatened, or if we feel weak, we don't have any energy, we want to live. We want to be passionate. We want to feel alive. Then we appreciate the power, the intensity of this desire to live. So, just like what does a person want in life? It's not the body, the physical, the physical is the corpse. It's the energy. We're looking for energy, for soul, for life. So, when you realize your soul also has a life, what's the the life of your soul? Just like your body has a soul, your soul also has a soul. What is the life of your soul? What is the soul of your soul? It's Hashem, it's godliness, it's the infinite. Hashem. So just like a person yearns for his soul, and when you feel sluggish, or you feel, you feel run down, you yearn for that life. You want to be vibrant again. You want to feel energetic again. You want to feel alive. When you miss your life, and you want it so badly, so too when you realize that Hashem, for a Jew, Hashem is the soul of my soul. What is my life? What is life? Life to us is godliness. When do I feel alive? If I'm connected to, to God, if I study Torah, then I feel alive. If I don't study Torah, and I don't have anything godly in my life, I feel dead. I can be alive, I can be energetic and vibrant, and but it's to me it's not life. When does a Jew feel alive? When do you feel rejuvenated? When you're connected with Hashem. Hashem is the soul of my soul. And therefore, for a Jew, Judaism is not religion. That's why for a Jew, Judaism is a way of life. Religion is compartmentalized. Religion is something that you do. Certain times, certain moments, certain days, weekends. Life, you never take a break from life. Life is 24-7. You don't take a moment's break for life. Life is all-encompassing. Every cell of your body is alive. Not just your brain, your heart. Every cell in your body, even you here, every part of you is alive. Has life. It's connected. So, for a Jew, Judaism permeates. Our connection to God permeates every aspect of our life. Not only on Shabbat, not only on Yom Kippur, 24-7, 24-7, wherever we are, even when we're standing at the office, going about our career, whatever we may be doing. Because it's life. To us, godliness is life. And therefore, we can't get enough of it. When do we feel this? Isaiah says, my, God, you're my, you're my soul. Therefore, I desire you by Lila at night. Because at night, when you're deprived of that life, that's when you appreciate it. That's when it hits home. That's when you feel the intensity of the desire to live, to feel alive. So too, it's especially at night that a Jew wakes up in the morning, as the Zohar says, jumps out of bed and wakes up in the middle of the night, even when he's not obligated to learn. It's a time to sleep, but he can't sleep. He jumps out of bed. It's not a question of fulfilling obligation. It's not a question of obligation. Not obligated. It's life. Life has no limits. Obligation, if you, obligation is religion. You're obligated. You're not obligated. You, you have your duties. You have your responsibilities. But when Judaism becomes your life, you can't get enough. You go way beyond the letter of the law. You go way beyond obligations. I can't wait. I, can't, I jump out of bed in the morning, before dawn or at midnight, and I study Torah. Because this is life. This is godliness. I need to plug in. I need to get some life. It's only when I study Torah that I feel alive. I feel godly. I've recharged my batteries. You feel vibrant. You feel alive otherwise the Jew doesn't feel alive a day goes by you don't study Torah a day goes by you don't do a mitzvah you feel, inside you feel hollow, shallow and dead inside like imagine a person who was born with a gift a talent a day goes by and you know the musician doesn't play or the writer doesn't write or whatever talent God gave you Is that day is an empty hollow shallow day you live externally you live but inside you're dead. You didn't tap into that life. You didn't live. So for a Jew, godliness is life. It's not a luxury. It's not icing on the cake. It's not extracurricular. Oh, it's nice if I meditate. It's nice if I become Kabbalistic. It's nice if I can add this to my life. I'll add flavor to my life. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a nice addition to my life. It's life. Without life, what's the alternative to life? Without life, is death. There's nothing. And I want to live. More than anything in the world, I want to live. So once you realize that God is my life, then you have a love, just like you have a love for life. You want life. You want to feel energized. You want to feel passionate. You want to feel alive and vibrant. And so too, a Jew has developed, feels this love for Hashem. Because Hashem, that's my life. Without Hashem, I feel dead. And this comes naturally to a Jew. We're born with it. It's innate. It's inherent. You have a Jewish mother, you're born with a soul, you have this feeling. But that's why it's compared to Ava the great intense love. It's like a gift from Hashem. It's not something you acquire. It's, it's a gift. You're born with this sense that God is my life. That's what every Jew feels deep down. But it's buried, it's hidden, it's submerged. You have to use your mind to realize this. You have to think about it. It's only when you stop and think about it and you realize, hey, this is life. This is not religion. How many Orthodox Jews go through their life and go through the motion and fulfill their duties and do everything right? It's lifeless, soulless, passionless, joyless. So they, they're doing the mitzvah. They have this innate love and yet they're completely dis- disconnected, oblivious.
2: They have to think with their hearts.
1: So they have, it's first it's they different. have to realize. First you have to think, period. First you have to think with your mind. First you have to think. You have to be aware. If you think about it, then you realize what's my life? For a Jew, Judaism is not religion. Judaism is life. I live for this. If you look at Judaism as religion and duties and obligation, you do the bare minimum. It's like paying income taxes. You do what you have to. You speak to the good expert. You speak to find yourself a good rabbi and cut every corner that, that's legal. And, <laughs> and, you know, I've done my obligation. I'm In court, in the court of law, they can't... Uh, no complaints, but... But that's not Judaism. In other words, that's an obligation that you get rid of. Okay, let me do my duty. Now I can go back to my own personal, private life and live and enjoy myself. For a Jew, Judaism is life. This is what I live for. I wake up at night. It's not a question of duty. This is what I live for. You want to know what a person is about? It's what they do in their free time. What do they do in their free time? There's no obligation, no duty, no responsibility. What do you do in your free time? (laughs) when you're supposed to be in bed sleeping and a Jew jumps out of bed to study Torah that means that's your life this is not duty, religion, obligation This, this is what you live for this is what you look forward to this is what keeps you going this is what you aspire to this is your inner life it's not a question of quantity maybe the majority of your time is spent doing business and you're busy, who has time? It's the quality, you know. You want to know what a person's all about. It's, it's, you can see when they live it up. You know, this is this this moment. This is what he looks forward to. This, this this is when I come alive. This is what I aspire to. This gives me the energy to. This is what I live for. Judaism for a Jew. Judaism is life. It's a love. It's a love affair we have with Hashem. This is my life. God is my life. This is my soul. The soul of my soul. I can't live without it. This is what I live for then Judaism comes alive. It's passionate. It's joyful. It's vibrant. It's alive. It's not mechanical, by rote, external, superficial, empty, meaningless. It's life. I can't get enough. Just say, like you can't get enough of life. You can't get enough of Torah. You can't get enough of Mitzvah. And you do it with all your heart and all your soul. This is a love. So it's a love that you have to cultivate and develop, but really you just have to reveal. You just have to reveal that innate, inherent love that's there. But you have to to realize it. You have to wake up. You have to realize it. You have to be aware and you have to think and meditate and reflect. So it's a combination of these two. On one hand, it's a love that's shared by all Jews because every Jew who's born to a Jewish mother or someone who converts halachically has this innate love. So it's shared. But on the other hand, since every one of us has to reveal it, it's not something that comes naturally. Naturally, it's submerged. You're not in touch with it naturally. You have to think about it and realize it and, and until, until it, it leaps at you, until you jump up and realize and you feel that love. Therefore, it's also very individual because our path to that love is different. How we evoke that love and how we arouse that love. So it's a combination of these two loves, of a love that we develop versus a love that a gift from Hashem. So it's like a gift because it's innate, inherent. But on the other hand, it's not like a gift because we have to work for it. Although, once we do work, all we're doing is just revealing something that's there. We're revealing this hidden treasure that we all have within us. Almost this natural love that we have to Hashem. So this is one love. And that's what we learned last week. And this week is going to discuss a higher love, a greater love, which also comes naturally for every Jew. It's innate, inherent. All Jews are equal. But on the other hand, in order to evoke this love, to reveal this love, you have to work. You have to think about it. It doesn't just come naturally. You don't get in touch with it naturally. You have to meditate and reflect and cultivate and develop until you allow this love to emerge into your consciousness. That's what we're holding this week. we are in page 654.
0: A greater and more intense love than this, example than the love which results from realizing that God is one's true soul and life, a love which is likewise concealed in every soul of Israel as an inheritance from our ancestors, is that which is defined in Raya Mahemna, in description of Moses' divine service, like a son who strives for the sake of his father or mother whom he loves even more than his own body, soul, and spirit, sacrificing his life for his father and mother in order to redeem them from captivity. This manner of service is not limited to Moses alone. It is within the province of every Jew. For have we not all one father? Just as Moses possessed this love because God is his father, so, too, every Jew can possess this love God is
1: this is a portion of the Zohar called the Faithful Shepherd. And this was spoken or said by Moshe. And he said that there's, there's a love like a son loves his father. And a son can love his father more than he can love himself. And he's ready to sacrifice everything for his father. He's even ready to give up his life for his father. That's how much he loves his father. In a sense, this love is greater than the previous love. Because the previous love, when you love God like life itself, like you love your own life, your energy, your life, and you love God like life itself, what a powerful love, what an intense love. But what do you, and, and it motivates you as a result to study Torah and do mitzvah. When you love God, like life itself, what do you want? You want to live. It's
2: about you, as
1: to you want to live, right? You want to live. You want to c- continue to live. But you know that what's life? If you want to be alive, when do you truly, When are you truly alive? It's only when you study Torah, when you plug in and you're connected and you're studying Torah and you're doing mitzvahs, only then are you alive and you feel alive. And that's why you, you, you love to study and you love to do mitzvahs and you can't get enough of it. But not to the extent that you're ready to sacrifice your being, your existence in the country. You want to preserve your life. But the ultimate love is when you're ready to sacrifice your love. That's a much greater love. Just like a son loves his father, that he's ready to sacrifice his life for his father. That's how much he loves. So when a Jew realizes that God is my father, as we say, Avino, Malkeno, Avino, our father. It's a very personal relationship. Father-son relation is very personal. God is my father. It's not an abstract, <laughs> God is the energy, and God is the infinite, and God is life. That, that's Avino. this is personal. My father, my father, I'm the son. And and I'm so intimate and I'm so connected that I'm ready to die. I'm ready to give up my life. I love my father so much. I'm ready to do anything to help my father or whatever. So when a Jew feels such a personal, intimate love for Hashem, and you really feel and you can say clearly and openly, Avinu, my father, I'm talking to God, my father, you're my father. And you feel that way towards Hashem. That's when a Jew prays. When a Jew prays, it's like a son talking to a father, a child talking to his parent. Versus when you learn, Torah, it's more like a student sitting and with his teacher. God becomes our teacher. He's teaching us when we study Torah. But when you pray, you're pouring your heart out. You feel like a child can talk to his parent. I can talk openly. I'm speaking openly. So when you have that personal relationship, that intimate relationship of vino, it's a a different level. It takes you to a different level. It's very intense, very personal. And you're ready to sacrifice life. There's nothing you won't do. It's limitless. Parent-child relationship is limitless. A love that's based on my soul, even though it's not based on ego, but God is the soul of my soul, God is my life. And as a result, you want to do godly things. You want to study Torah. But ultimately, it's based on myself. It's about me. I want to live. I want to feel alive. The only way I can feel alive is by plugging in and connecting with Hashem. But a love, where you love Hashem like my father, Avino, a parent, that's a very personal relationship. It's a very deep relationship. Avino. And it's an infinite relationship. It's unconditional. Parent-child relationship is unconditional. It's unconditional love, both ways. So there's no limit to that love. When it's a love based on life, there's a limit to the love. I love you as much as life. Not more than life. Not larger than life. As much as life. So I'll do whatever it takes to live and to feel alive. So it means, yes, I can't get enough of Torah and mitzvah but not more than life, not larger than life. But when you have that love that God is my father, Avinu, there's no limits. It becomes larger than life. It's, it, it's unconditional. It's undefined. I'm ready to go beyond myself. I'm ready to go beyond my limits. I'm even ready to risk my life for Hashem. That's how much I love Hashem. It's a whole, different, a whole new dimension. It's a whole different level. Much more intense much deeper, much more profound, much more personal, much more intimate, and infinite. And again, this is a love that's natural for a Jew. It's inherent, innate, and we're born with this love. Because God is our Father. It's the truth. Every Jew is called a child of Hashem. Because we have this innate, inherent connection with Hashem. Just like a child knows his parents, instinctively. Every Jew has this faith we're believers, the children of believers, as we discussed at the great length, we learned in Chapter 2, the Lessons in Tanya. So, the relationship is there. That unconditional love, that reciprocal unconditional love is there. Hmm. But it doesn't come natural to us, because we're born with egos. We don't, so we don't feel, how many Jews naturally feel, oh, God is my Father? And I have this intense love and yearning for God and I want to be with my father, and, I, I, and I'll do anything for my, my father. It doesn't come naturally. We have to reveal this natural love within us. It's there, but we have to reveal it. And revealing it takes effort. You have to think, you have to meditate, you have to reflect, until it hits home. Until you evoke that powerful love, you realize that personal connection we have with Hashem. An intimate connection we have with Hashem. Hashem feels towards us like a parent feels towards a child and we feel to Hashem like a child feels towards his parent. You know you can trust your parent 100%. You feel safe with your parent. You can pour your heart out with your parent. It's a different relationship. It's not a stranger. This is my parent. It's something special between a parent and child. It doesn't exist with anyone else in the world. And you have that relationship with Hashem. So even though this is a statement made by Moshe Rabbeinu, but it's not limited to Moshe, because every Jew is considered a parent.
3: This level of love is more selfless than that described by the phrase, in my soul I desire you. Or love which results from realizing that God in one's true life will only be as intense as a person's desire for life itself. It will not demand total sacrifice, which is the opposite of life. The love of a child for his parents, however, is not limited to his love for life. His parents' lives take precedence over his own, and he is ready to give his very life in order to save theirs.
1: If they're in danger, he's ready to risk everything, because that's how much his parents mean to him. It's an unconditional love. It's unlimited is ready to do anything
3: and although one may ask who is the man and where is he who would dare presume in his heart to approach and attain even a thousandth part of the degree of love felt by Moses the faithful shepherd how then do we say that every Jew can feel the same love of God that Moses felt nevertheless a minute portion and particle of his great goodness and and light illuminates the community of Israel in each generation as it is stated in Tikkunim that an emanation from him, Moses, is present in every generation to illuminate them. Since this luminous particle is found in all Jews in all generations, it thus becomes possible for every Jew through Moses' goodness and light to feel the love that he possesses as an inheritance from the patriarchs in a manner similar to that of Moses.
1: So, so he says that although, who can compare to Moshe? Moshe had this level of love, this intense love, this unconditional, infinite love to Hashem. He really felt, and he spoke to Hashem like a child speaking to a parent. And God couldn't refuse it. Every time he begged and pleaded, how can he refuse? Like when our, our little chi- our child speaks to us and begs us. Uh, we can't say no. It's irresistible because the relationship is so intimate and so intense and so deep and so unlimited uh, that uh, you know, your heart melts. A child begs, uh, well, what's a parent going to do? <laughs> your heart just melts. You can't say no to your child. So Moshe had this relationship with Hashem. But how could we compare it to Moshe? We're saying that every Jew has this same relationship, has this same intense love. It's buried, it's there, deep down. Each and every Jew has this. And he says, although who can compare to Moshe, but nevertheless something, a reflection, a spark of this love we all have. And where do we get it from? We get it from Moshe. Which begs the question, because we learned earlier in the Tanya, The natural love that every Jew has for God, in Chapter 18, where do we get it from? We get it from the Patriarchs. We inherit from the Patriarchs, from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Leah. That's where we get our Jewish soul from. So this love, this natural love we have for God, doesn't come from Moshe. It comes from the fact that we're the biological children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Leah. Not from Moshe. So why does he say here? we receive this love from Moshe that his soul illuminates our soul and we have a spark of that love not in the same degree not on the same level as Moshe not even close but something of it a spark just like a spark in comparison to the torch we have something of it we don't get this love from Moshe we get it from the patriarchs so the Rebbe explains yes it's true that the natural love that every Jew has to God, we get from the patriarchs, not from Moshe. But just like a person who is born wise, so everything about him will be expressed in a wise way. His natural loves that he has will also be expressed with finesse, with wisdom, Even the loves that he has, which seemingly have nothing to do with wisdom, but since he's essentially wise, everything is expressed in a certain way, in a very wise way. So too, the inherent love that each and every Jew has, who we're born with, that comes from the patriarchs. But how you express that love, that we get from Moshe. Moshe expressed his Jewishness, this innate love that he inherited. He inherited from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He expressed it in a unique way, being that he was Moshe. So he expressed his love in a very intense way. He had this like parent-child relationship with God. Unconditional, infinite love. In a very intense, intense love. So the way, the manner, the way through which Moshe expressed his love, we got some of that from Moshe. The soul of Moshe, we have a spark of that love. Every Jew has a spark of that love within his soul. And therefore, we also are able to express this general love that we're we're born with, that we inherit from our patriarchs and matriarchs. We're able to express it in the same intense way, in the same manner as Moshe did. That we feel towards God like a parent-child, a parent-child relationship very personal, a personal relationship, very personal and very intense. That's what we get from Moshe. And it's interesting that the nickname for every Jew in Eastern Europe, what was the nickname for every Jew? Moshka. Every Jew was called Moshka. Just like we called every, every Russian puyer we called Ivan. <laughs> right? The Russian was Ivan. To, to them, Avdol, the Jew, every Jew was Moshka. There's no chayim, betul, shmerul, moshka. Where does moshka come from? Moshe. Because even the even the polaknu, every Jew deep down is a miniature Moshe. Every Jew is a moshka. because every Jew has a spark of mosha inside. Moshe was a general soul. He was the faithful shepherd. That's where that's where this the portion of the Zoya where this love is expressed and stated. It's called Raya Mehem, the Moshe, the faithful shepherd. Being a faithful shepherd, his soul illuminated all of our souls from his, from his kindness. He sheared his soul with all of us. And therefore, we have a spark of Moshe inside of us. Deep down, we will have a little spark of Moshe inside of us. If you dig deep inside a Jew, you will discover a Moshe. you will discover a miniature Moshe, a spark of Moshe. You have different levels. You have the leaders of the generation. They get a little more than illumination, there. they have a, you know, something of the flame. But every Jew has an illumination, a spark, something of the soul of Moshe. So therefore, we have this capacity also to love Hashem like Moshe loved Hashem, like a parent-child relationship, to express that natural love that we inherited from the patriarchs with his intense personal love, unconditional, infinite love, like a parent-child relationship. And therefore, we're ready to sacrifice ourselves for Hashem. Just like Moshe was ready to sacrifice himself. We all have some, some of that inside of us. We have it equally. Because we're Jewish and because we're connected to Moshe. Every Jew is connected to Moshe. So we all have it. But how do you reveal it? That you have to use your mind. You have to work on it. It doesn't come natural. You have to develop it. You have to cultivate. You have to work on it to evoke this potential love the spark that's there deep down inside of us but to bring it to the surface we have to work it. so again you have the combination it's a, it's a love it's universal it's like a gift from Hashem we're all equal on the other hand the path how we get there and how we arouse it within ourselves this comes from, from our, uh,
4: when you think of the, yourself for example I you know. got And you've got a beautiful relationship with your children and your family and all of this. And we're talking about how can a friend have a similar relationship with somebody else who's a friend, right? In other words, it seems like, um, you know, a friend who focuses on a family and all of this, you know, everything is great but somebody who doesn't have that situation. And, you know, I mean, how can somebody who has a friend focuses on another friend and somehow feel that same kind of situation? Well, I mean, it's great to have, uh, you know, a family and. We've got great kids, and everything is great, and all of this. But how about those people who are alone? And
1: Well, firstly, we're all children. And um, those who don't have this relationship with a parent... Um, in some very real way it, it pains you and the pain is commensurate to the love that's there and when that love is not manifest when it's dysfunctional when the person is dysfunctional or the situation is dysfunctional and therefore that, that natural love cannot be manifest it's, it's painful And commensurate to the love, that's the pain. That's why it's so painful and it's so personal and it's so so hurtful and it's so damaging because it's something so deep. Your parents, these are your parents. You can't divorce your parents. It's your essence. Torah says, honor your parents. Because that's the fact. The reality is it's your parent. And if for whatever reason you don't have this loving relationship, it's... uh, inherently it's there and the fact that this relationship cannot be manifest in its purity to the extent that it can't be manifest that's the extent that it pains you and it creates a tremendous turmoil inside of you and and it's it's tremendously painful but the reality is that that relationship is there parent-child relationship is an unconditional infinite relationship now a person could be dysfunctional, a person could, you know, that seems to be more often than not the human condition that uh, people are just not connected, people are just not in touch with themselves, people are just not, and potential doesn't get realized, and it is fr- it's frustrated, the potential gets frustrated, that's why there's so much anger, that's why there's so much tension. If you couldn't care less, they wouldn't, you wouldn't have that anger and that tension and that pain. But you can't not care less. It's your parent. It's your, it's your family. So this tremendous anger, tremendous tension, tremendous pain. You know, you can try to be oblivious to it and try to, you know, but you can't. It, and it shapes you and it affects you very, very deeply because that relationship runs very deep. There's nothing in, deeper in life. As a matter of fact, the titus says, if God forbid you lose a parent, you have to mourn a whole year. If you lose a spouse, you're more than 30 days. You lose a child, you're more than 30 days. But if you lose a parent, a whole year. There's nothing like it. There's no relationship in the world like parent child. Everything else is, you know, is acquired. It's something as deep as it is. You, know, you can remarry. You can, it's, it's as deep as it is, it's not. There's only one relationship in the world which is core, essentially. That's a parent-child relationship. But God forbid, if you lose a parent, it's a crack in your foundation. Your whole essence has been cracked. And it takes you a year just to recover. So that relationship is there. It's so deep. It's unconditional. It's infinite. So whatever, whatever blocks it or whatever gets in the way, whatever dysfunction gets in the way, it doesn't change it. And you can't run away from it and you can't hide from it. It will affect you. If you don't have a healthy relationship, it will affect you affect your personality affect you the deep pain the deep denial the, the inner turmoil it leaves scars in you so, that are so deep you can't just ignore it it's like ignoring yourself you can't it's, it's your foundation it's who you are that's what the Torah says honor your parents you can't run away from it you must honor your parents well they're not acting like parents well we, our relationship is not wonderful but they're your parents that relationship is there it's a fact
3: it doesn't say you have to love them. It says honor them.
1: It's, it's a fact. That relationship is there. That connection is there. So the t- says you have to treat them with respect. The title t- says you have to love every Jew. Your parent is so not worse than that any Jew.
4: What does it have to do with what we're talking about now?
1: So it's a reality. That relationship is a reality. There's no running away from it. Parent-child relationship is a reality whether it's expressed positively or negatively, it's a reality and it's a fact. It informs your very core, your very essence. It's who you are. And when, and when you realize that you have that level of relationship with God, your relationship to Hashem has that same unconditional, you have that same unconditional relationship, you have that same infinite, unconditional relationship, and if you get in touch with it, and you reveal it, and you're able to express it in a beautiful way, Not in a dysfunctional way. Unfortunately, you see it. You see it sometimes in its dysfunction. When was the last time you met a self-hating Irishman? Self-hating Italian. (laughs) Something that even exists. Only when it comes to the Jew, a self-hating Jew. It just shows you how deep the relationship is. In their hatred of their Jewishness, they just showed you how Jewish they are. The connection is so deep is so profound, so intimate, that in there is hatred and their denial. Who else but Jews could run around the world and use every opportunity to denigrate Israel and put down the Jewish people, insult, humiliate, offend. There's nothing that we can do right and there's nothing that our enemies can do wrong. I mean, it's mind-boggling. But in this twisted adversity, you see how Jewish they are. Which other people in the nation, which other people in the world give up their own land? In the annals of human history, there's not a single example. Not one example. It's so absurd. It's so distorted. Only a Jew. So in their twisted, this you see how Jewish they are. You see how deep the relationship runs. It's so dysfunctional. It's so abnormal. You see how deep this relationship runs. There's no running away from it. You can't run away from your Jewish. It's there. It could be buried, hidden, but it's there. It's a living, it's a live wire. So, if, But you need your mind to get in touch with it. To be able to express it in a beautiful way, in a loving way. But that relationship is there. So instead of running away from your Jewishness and running and hiding and denying and embrace it, love it, express it, live it. Be it. You have a relationship with God. What a what a celebrate it. Cherish it. Thank Hashem for this wonderful relationship. And it's only then that you'll be a wholesome person. A Jew can never be wholesome unless they're in touch with their Jewishness. Never. But that relationship is there. But you have to use your mind and you have to use your effort in order to allow this relationship to emerge and serve until it becomes a beautiful, vibrant, joyful part of your life. But then the dedication is infinite. Once you have this relationship with God, God is my Father, dedication is infinite. You're ready to exceed yourself, exceed your nature, go beyond your limits, beyond your life. Even if it means risking your life, there's nothing you won't do for your Father, if you have that relationship. If you realize how precious that relationship is, how real it is, how personal it is, how intimate, how deep, how reciprocal, how infinite, un- unconditional. And that we get from Moshe. That way of reflecting our Jewishness and having a personal relationship, that we get from Moshe. Okay, you want to continue on top of page 656.
2: Okay. Only the glow from Moses, Moses' soul, 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 is present in the soul of all Israel in a manner of, of obscurity and concealment but to bring forth this hidden love from its latency and concealment to a state of revelation so that it would be manifest in his heart and mind is not beyond reach not is it far off but it is very close to you in your mouth and heart that is to say it should be habitual with his tongue and voice to arouse the intention of his heart and mind. For the sound of one's voice arouses the devout concentration of heart and mind. So as to immerse his thought in the life of life, yeah, the blessed the thought, For he is literally our true father and the source of our life, and to awaken our love for him like the love of a son for his father. And when one accustoms himself to this continually, habit will become natural.
1: Okay, so he's saying the whole Tanya is based on The verse, okay, okay. That being Jewish is something that's very close to you, in your mouth and your heart, to do. So here he translates that it's something that's very close to your heart. But how is it close to your heart? Through your mouth. By saying it. Just by saying it, the nature, the power of saying things, your voice has the power to evoke your heart and your mind. That's the nature of a voice. Your voice reveals what's going on inside. When you speak, your voice, you reveal what's going on inside. So when a person, when you hear yourself, it evokes, because things could be, remain dormant. But then when you hear, You say the words of prayer and you hear the words and you you hear the words or you hear a voice, you sing a song, you hear a voice, it evokes, it stirs something inside of you. So the voice is very helpful to evoke an inner response. So this love is innate, is inherent. But how do you evoke this love? How do you stir up this love that you should feel it? It's through the voice. It says, Through the mouth you will reach. Your heart by saying the words you evoke, you'll stir up this love within your heart, which will lead you to actually do the mitzvah, to study the Torah and do the mitzvah. Because once you have this relationship to God, God is my Father, and you have this personal intimate relationship with God, then there's nothing I won't do. I want to study Torah, I want to do mitzvot, because I know that this will please Hashem. I know how much pleasure this gives Hashem. It's not about me. It's not about me feeling alive. It's about doing what Hashem wants. I know how, how precious this is to Hashem. I know how much He wants it. I know how much He cares about me studying Torah and doing mitzvot. I can't do enough. I love my father so much, I can't do enough of him. Whatever, whatever I can do to please him, to put a smile on his face. And that motivates me to study Torah and do mitzvot. So that's what the verse says, "Beficha," through your mouth, that's the way to, to, through, to your heart, through the voice that evokes, that's the power and nature of a voice. It has the ability to evoke and stir something within, something that's there already, that's dormant, but it has the power to evoke it and to stir your heart, make your heart come alive, and then that will lead you to do, to action. So when a person, just by saying and listening to yourself when you say, listen to the prayers and say, Avinu, my father, referring to Hashem as my father, it's a very loaded word. Not just saying it, but actually meaning it and paying attention to what you're saying. Avinu. Hashem, you're my father. I'm your child. I'm your son. That, that's, a, that's the closest relationship that exists in life, in this world. The deepest. Avinu. And we have this relationship with Hashem. And we can talk to Hashem like a child talks to a parent. We love, we love Hashem like a child loves, loves his father. Hashem loves us. That's that's very that's a very loaded statement. That's heavy stuff, very intense stuff. But by saying it, you can help you evoke these feelings in your heart that you start feeling that way, even though it's difficult for us to evoke this feeling in our heart. But by saying it, suddenly you start feeling it. You know, you say it often enough, and you pay attention. You say it sincerely. You'll start feeling. You know, Hashem, you're my father, and I can I can talk to you, and we can, uh, you know. We can, we have this relationship going on. You're always on my, I'm always on your mind and you're always on my mind. Avina. So that's the advice that he's giving. That through the mouth to keep the flame alive which will lead to action. Because by speaking the voice that will help your heart concentrate. Concentrate your mind and your heart. That to immerse yourself in the thought that God is the life of life and that He's literally our true Father and the source of life. And therefore, to evoke a love just like a child loves a parent. And when you accustom yourself to it, human nature is that the habit becomes human nature, second nature. If you do it often enough, it becomes second nature. The first time you say it, you can't relate to it. But by the second, third, and fourth time, fifth time, you're saying it, and you mean it, you start becoming familiar with it, and then suddenly it becomes second nature, and that's how you start thinking about Hashem. That's how you start thinking about your relationship. God is my Father. He's the source of my life. He's, he, gave, he gave birth to me. He's my child. He's, I'm His child, and I have that relationship, and I love Hashem. And um, after a while, this becomes second nature. This, 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 you reorient yourself, how you think, how you view how you look at Hashem and your relationship with Hashem. Now, the question is, maybe it's an illusion. What do you mean an illusion? It's an illusion because, honestly, I don't feel this love to Hashem. Do I really feel this unconditional, infinite love for Hashem burning in my heart? Okay, you're very fortunate. I think you're very fortunate. I don't think about it. I feel it. that's that's very special. Uh, I can speak for myself. Most of us don't. <laughs> you don't.
2: You're, you're kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Some <Sorry. I'm clears
0: throat>
1: <clears throat> sometimes, but you know, I'm talking about on a daily basis, twenty-four-seven. Sometimes you pray and you don't feel any fire, you, you know, you, go, you feel like you're going through the motion. You don't feel that fire. Sometimes you don't feel inspired. Sometimes you have to force yourself, I don't want to learn, I want to do something else. It doesn't always come naturally and instinctively. We're not the tzaddik, you know. Sometimes we're tempted to do something wrong. You know, and then I don't feel so intensely that God is my father and I'm ready to sacrifice my life. I'm not even ready to sacrifice. Forget about my life. I'm not even <laughs> ready to sacrifice my momentary pleasure, my silly, silly momentary pleasure for God. God is ready to sacrifice my life. A juicy piece of gossip. Close my mouth. No, no. You know. After, after the session. So come on, let's be honest. I mean. So here we're saying God is my father and I'm closing my eyes and I'm thinking God is my father and I have this love. But how real is this love? Is it, is it momentary? Maybe I feel it when I pray intensely. I focus. I close my eyes and I think about it and then I feel it. Maybe I get a glimpse of it. Maybe at that moment it is real. But then I close my prayer book. I go upstairs for breakfast. I go out into the world. And it all vanishes. Father and father. You know, the material world beckons. My temptations beckon. And suddenly I forget all about that inspiration. And my heart is pulling me in a different direction. So, in a way, that's what he calls an illusion. Because it's not lasting. It's not 24-7.
2: But it's real. It's only when you defer. Like, yes, all that you're saying is true. 24-7, I'm not aware of what... But when I'm quiet, I So
1: that's what he calls an illusion. Because yes, when you're quiet, when you have special conditions, and it's a time of prayer, which is an auspicious time, the heavenly gates are open, and your soul is open, and you're in the and of course, and it's on a holiday, and it's on a Shabbat, and it's a special moment, of course, but that's an illusion because it's not real, if it's real, it's 24-7, what do you mean you feel it in special when you close your eyes, when I stop living in this world, I feel it, when I go to heaven, I feel it, but when I'm walking down Park Avenue, I don't feel it, so in a way, that's an illusion. In my daily life, it doesn't carry on. So in a way, that's because illusion doesn't mean it's a lie. Illusion is
2: everything
1: else. Illusion illusion doesn't mean it's a lie. He's not referring to illusion as a lie. God forbid. That moment is a genuine moment because deep down we all have this relationship, very deep relationship. But it's an illusion because it's not lasting. I can't hold on to it. It's like a dream. It's illusory. And then I wake up and the dream is gone. It was beautiful, a beautiful dream. And it may be inspiring. The whole day, it'll be a different day because I had a beautiful dream. But it's an illusory. I I can't hold on to it. If he can't hold on to it, that's also illusory. It's not real. Not Sadiq lives it every day. Moshe lived it 24-7. He felt his intense love 24-7. But if we don't, that's what he calls illusory. Illusory doesn't mean a lie that I'm faking it. It doesn't mean that I'm pretending. No, maybe when you close your eyes when you're praying, you do feel it. But since I can't hold on to it, that's also illusory. In a a certain sense, it's not real. But
2: it's an awareness.
1: It's an awareness. But since I can't hold on to that awareness, because I'm not in a state of meditation, awareness all the time, I'm a real live human being who's down to earth, who's going about my business. So that's illusory. It means it's not real. Now, in a way, it is real because I can always reproduce it. Just like in science, how do you know something is real? You can always reproduce it. So you can take it to the laboratory and you can always reproduce the results. I know I can always pray. I can always close my eyes. I can always put myself in in, in the right frame of mind. And I can always reproduce this feeling. So, of course, that's why it's it's not a lie. It doesn't mean illusory. It's a lie, God forbid. No. Because at that moment, you're feeling and experiencing something that's very real.
2: Because you can always connect to that candle. You can
1: always connect. But in a real sense, it's still called illusory because the fact that I can't hold on to it, like a dream, I can't hold on to it. I wake up and then it's gone. It's very, the impression, I'm left with the impression, I'm left with a good taste. Maybe the whole day I'll be a little, a little more inspired because I had that experience when I closed my eyes and when I prayed and I said the Shema. But since I can't really hold on to it, that's what he refers to as a illusory. So the, you can ask yourself, who am I kidding? Come on, I'm a real person. Well, what's this? It's real certain moments when I, when I create ideal conditions, certain, but in my day-to-day life, in my real life, 24-7, I don't feel God is my father. I'm not ready to sacrifice my life and I'm not ready to sacrifice a lot of other things. You know? Momentary pleasures, silly pleasures for God. So, so who am I kidding? So am I being hypocritical? Does that, does that make that moment any less real? So that's what he's telling us now. Don't be concerned. You want to hear
3: It, uh, it appears him to him at first sight this is an illusion, that truth is not the best support
2: of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm thinking that he does nothing less than delude
3: himself as to his true spiritual status. You not be concerned. It is intrinsically intrinsically an true truth, even without? service:
1: God. Exactly. So therefore that's the answer. It's not an illusion, because deep down, your soul feels it 24/7. Your soul has this level of love 24/7. The parent-child relationship is an objective fact. It's not subjective to your feelings, whether you feel it or you don't, whether you appreciate it or not, whether you're conscious of it or aware of it, or want it or not. The relationship is there. It's a fact. It runs deeper than life itself. It, it, it's, it's everything. It's, it's the deepest thing we have. It's, it's that infinite connection that we have for our parents and life continues. It's, that relationship is there. That core connection is there. Whether you feel it or not, it doesn't change reality. But we hear that. It doesn't change reality, exactly. But it's there. So, therefore, the moment you re- meditate and reflect on it, for those brief moments, it's as genuine as it gets. Because it's reality You're talking about reality This is not Hollywood This is not the delusions This is not I'm trying to be something Other than myself I'm, I'm trying to delude myself That I'm some mystic Some holy mystic And, and being some otherworldly person And come on I'm down to earth No, no, no You're being genuine That moment is a genuine moment Because deep down You have this moment all the time You don't feel it You can access it You're not conscious of it But It doesn't change the reality Our soul has a life of its own. Our soul feels things that we don't feel. Our subconscious, we're not even aware of our subconscious. There's a whole reality going on inside of us that we're completely oblivious to and totally unaware of. It doesn't change the reality, the fact that there's things going on inside of us. So this relationship is innate, It's inherent, it's there all the time. The parent-child relationship runs very deep. It's infinite, it's unconditional. It's there. Whether you tap into it, you don't tap into it, you feel it, you don't feel it, it doesn't change the reality like the Torah says honor your parents whether they deserve or they don't deserve whether they're acting like it or not doesn't, it doesn't change the facts the fact is that they are your parents and you honor them period end of discussion no ifs maybes or buts doesn't matter how you feel personal where you're at, at life how they are good parents not good parents doesn't change the fact it's a reality parent-child relationship is a fact it runs deeper than life itself it's everything so that relationship was there. So therefore, don't, don't worry, well, maybe it's illusory because I can't hold on to it. You can't hold on to feeling it consciously it, in, in, in its intensity, in its depth, in its clarity, but it doesn't change the fact that that relationship is real, as genuine as it gets. There's nothing more genuine in your life than that relationship. So therefore, the brief moment that you think about it and you meditate and reflect on it and close your eyes, that's a very genuine moment. And if it leads you to action...
3: The benefit derives from the spiritual service to which he affects his immersion and the open, is that you should translate it into action. When his love is in a state of consuming and not be not affected by that.
1: That's why you have to meditate and reflect on it. What's the point of meditating and reflecting on it if it's not genuine? If I can't sustain it? If it's illusory in that sense? And the answer is, there is a tremendous benefit of meditating and reflecting. Because by meditating and reflecting, you, you bring it out into the open, and that motivates you to study Torah and do mitzvot. Once you feel that connection, you feel that you have, it's like a parent-child relationship, you jump up. I want to do Torah, I want to do a mitzvah. I want to give my father pleasure. I want to put a smile on his face, that's what I live lift. So when you lift to, uh, to give pleasure to your parent, and to give him nachas, and you want to put a smile on their face, we want to make them happy. And you know, the only way to make Hashem happy is by studying Torah and doing mitzvah. Hashem doesn't care about your bank account. He doesn't care how many Ferraris you own. It doesn't care how many homes you own. own, doesn't care how many times you mention in the celebrity, in the celebrity paper or whatever. Uh, the only thing Hashem really cares about is Torah and mitzvah. So if you love Hashem that much, then you jump up and you study Torah and
4: mitzvah. What if the parents don't deserve you know, uh, they don't deserve
1: this covet. I mean, Hashem, Hashem said every parent deserves a cover for one reason and one reason only. They brought you into the world, they gave you the gift of life. Everything else is icing on the cake. The difference between non existence and existence is the greater than any difference you can think of you know, impoverished existence and a rich existence. They gave you the gift of life, they chose to have children. Um, and for that, you have to treat them almost like a god. For that, the Torah says you have to respect, because God says you have to respect, even if they don't act no respectful, and even if they don't deserve it. So much so, the Torah says if you're the president of the United States, and your mother comes along, and you're on live TV, watched by hundreds of millions of people, and your mother comes along and slaps you across the face, you have to respect her. How is that possible? What a dastardly act. Because the Torah says, Hashem says, I am telling you to respect. If Hashem tells you to respect, then you respect them. Whether they deserve respect or don't deserve respect. We would respect God. We would do anything for God. So God is telling us, respect them. Because the reality is, that relationship... doesn't make
4: any sense, quite frankly.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: I mean, you know, they're not like I and mean, They're not like Rachel, And, you know, they just didn't treat you like those kinds of parents. So, I mean, how could you possibly respect them in their same... You know what I'm saying?
1: The Torah doesn't say uh, respect the Rifkas and Rachels. I do think
4: it's as much as love
0: of them, it's just acknowledging. Just acknowledging. they didn't do the right thing, they're humans, let them slide. But just acknowledging. The you know. same thing with children. Okay? The children don't show you the respect, and you constantly go out of your way and go out of your way to try to get their respect, and they don't do it for whatever reason. Shut them down. Shut them down, man. You're the father. They come to you. They don't want to come to you? That's their issue. Okay? The, the the, that's, you know, that may be personal or
4: whatever. I mean, you're dealing right. with a very uh, idealistic situation. No, here.
1: no. The code of Jewish okay. law is very clear about this. The code of Jewish law doesn't say honor okay. parents only if they're like Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah, no, the Tzadikian. you,
0: know, acknowledge you have to be parents, man, no no but, you know, if I mean, they're not doing the right thing. With that's,
1: that's, that's the size. The, 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 the code of Jewish law is very clear. Yeah. You have to honor your parents. You have to honor your parents. There's no, there's no... What do you mean by honor? The Torah spells it out. It's, it's not left. It's not very. Respect. You have respect. You have to treat them respectfully, because they're your parents. Period. End of story. The Torah is very clear. Mm-hmm. Listen, your argument is not with me. Take out the code of Jewish law and look at the look at the look but at the They
4: didn't give you what you they got gave,
1: from they, your parents. They gave you life. That's all. That's all. That's it. You got to acknowledge them. That's it. That's, that's, that's it. it. Even if they give you nothing but else. No
3: but opinion. it's more than that. As than a time. matter, as a
1: matter of fact, it's very interesting it says, the commentaries say, it says in the Ten Commandments, when the Ten Commandments are repeated in Deuteronomy, it says, Honor your parents like I commanded you. In Marah, Hashem already commanded him. Why does the Torah say, like, Hashem, like I command you? So one of the commentaries, I believe the Chassam Sefer says, the Chassam Sefer, he says, because just like a Jew in the desert, a Jew in the desert, what did his parents give them? children. What did the parents give their children? Absolutely nothing. Food?
0: They gave them life. That's enough. That's they gave, Right. They gave them
1: nothing. Food? They, them food. They, did, they didn't provide them with food. You know where they got their food from? Manna from heaven. The parents didn't provide the children with anything. Clothes? That was a miracle. It grew with them. came from heaven. Water? From heaven? The parents gave their children is nothing. What, they, what did they give them? Life. And from that alone, the title says, honor your parents. That's, that's, what I that's honoring your parents. They are our parents. We can't change that fact. You can't change the fact. You can't divorce your parents. It is your essence. That's the link, the infinite link that goes back all the way. Without your the parents, there's no link. There's no connection. This is the in- infinity within us that through, through our children and our parents, that, that, that infinite chain that can go on forever and ever, for that alone, that they gave us life, they gave us existence. If someone, God forbid, had a choice of, le- of God forbid, changing existence to nonexistence, the change from nonexistence to existence is much more dramatic than the change from an impoverished existence to a wealthy existence, to uh, an enlightened existence or to an uh, unenlightened existence, a um, painful existence, a joyful existence, if you had a choice You know, you have to give up your wealth and live an impoverished existence. But you'll continue to exist. Oh, God forbid you lose your life. We know what our choice would be. I'd rather live. So life is everything. Life is everything. Our parents gave us life. Period. Everything else is icing on the cake. Everything else is incidental. The fact that they gave us life. Period. They are God to us. Hashem told us, treat them like God. They are God to us. Respect them they are our parents it's a fact it's a reality now it's, it's, of course it's very painful there's nothing, as more, there's nothing in life that could be more painful than, 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 than child abuse because no one could hurt children like parents because parents are God to us and, and you know, we can't process in our mind that something is wrong with our parents and that's the most painful the most damaging thing in the world so, of course, if we grew up in a dysfunctional home, it will, it will affect us very deeply and very profoundly because of that relationship. Because that relationship runs so deep, that's why the damage could also be so painful and so deep. But the relationship is there. You can't pretend that, that relationship is not there. The Torah says, don't pretend that relationship is not there. The relationship is there, and that's why they can do so much damage. And that's why it's so painful and hurtful. But that relationship is deep, unconditional, infinite. It touches your very core in essence. And that's why, God forbid, you lose a parent. It shakes you to your core. Like your whole foundation, a crack in your foundation. Your home, your home is cracked, fine. So you call in a renovator and you renovate your home. Your foundation is cracked, forget it. It's a crack in the foundation. You need a whole year just to come to yourself. You can. not So that's a reality. Torah is just telling us the fact of life. That's the reality. Of the relationship, you can't run away from that relationship. And even in that pain, you see how deep that relationship is. It, it disturbs you so much, so deeply, because that relationship is so intense and so powerful. There's no running away from it. You can't just dismiss it. Oh, okay. I don't care. No such thing. You do care. And you care very deeply. And you see that even in, in the dysfunction, how deep it is. Now, of course, that's the tragedy. Because life is so real that it's like in marriage. Everyone is married. But some people take 1% out of marriage. Some people take 5% out of marriage. And the lucky few take 100% out of marriage. That relationship is there. It's two half souls. But some marriages are very mediocre or very superficial. and They never go, never get to any place deeper. And some people are fortunate enough or they're refined enough or they're that they're able to take out 100% out of the marriage, or close to 100%. Maybe. But even the one who takes only 5% of the marriage, the marriage is a fact. Two half-souls are connected, are married to each other. It's a reality. But it's up to you how much you're going to take out of it. The same as our relationship with God. We have that relationship with God. But How much are we going to take out of it? Is it going to remain buried and submerged? And we walk around with this, with this anger and this tension and You know, in one extreme, you can become a self-hating Jew, or you can can be in love with Hashem, love your Jewishness, cherish your Jewishness, and every day is every day you live, you live a full life, a meaningful life, a fulfilling life, a rich life. You're alive as a Jew. Every day of your life is alive, and you feel you feel um, lucky and how how special it is to be. And and how privileged it is, and what a. a, And then every day you live the maximum, you live your life to the maximum. That's the tragedy, that every Jew has this potential, but when a Jew is not living up to that potential, it's very painful. That relationship is there. A Jew is a Jew is a Jew. There's no running away from it. As dysfunctional as it is, a Jew is a Jew is a Jew. Even in that dysfunction, especially in that dysfunction. But it's a tragedy when you have so much potential so much potential love and so much and it's just not instead of being in a, in a light place a very dark place instead of, instead of being illuminated and energized and energetic and vibrant and joyful place when a person finds himself in a very negative place that's that, that's the tragedy and that's what we're discussing in these chapters a drew us to develop a love for Hashem you know, you have to be energized as a dream. You have to feel alive as a dream. You have to love it. And the Torah mitzvah should be alive. With heart and soul and feeling. Okay, let's, let's just conclude.
2: Since the revelation of this love leads, in fact, to increase performance, he should not be troubled by the fact that he may be deluding himself and thinking, that he possesses this love when in actuality he does not, particularly since his soul does truly love God. Concerning this, it was said that a good thought is joined by the Holy One, blessed be he, to a deed, providing it with the wings to soar upwards, as explained earlier.
1: In chapter 16, we learn um, the conventional understanding of this statement of the rabbis is that if a, Jew, if a person had a mind to do a good deed but he couldn't do it for whatever reason, circumstances didn't allow him to do it so God considers as if as if you've done it but then the language makes no sense the language should have said that a good deed, Hashem will consider as if you've done it the language, the literal translation of what the rabbis say is Hashem joins the thought with action means that there is thought and there's action, but they're disconnected, and Hashem joins the two. So just on the literal meaning of what the rabbis are saying, the language makes no sense. Because we're talking about a case where a Jew had a thought, a positive intention, but he never fulfilled the intention due to no fault of his own. Something happened and he couldn't do it. But the fact that he had a positive intention, he wanted to do the mitzvah, Hashem will count it as, as if you've done it. But if that's all the rabbis meant, they should have used a different language. The fact that the rabbis use this language, the rabbi is also hinting here to something deeper, in addition to the literal meaning of this passage. And the deeper meaning that they're hinting at is that there's, a, there's times that a Jew, there is an action. And there is a good thought. And the two are disconnected. Because when a Jew does a mitzvah with energy, with love, with energy, then the, the mitzvah's soar, The mitzvot are alive. They soar to heaven. Heaven is a spiritual place. In order for the mitzvah to soar, you need spirituality, you need energy. So when you do the mitzvah with love, with energy, you invest the mitzvah, the mitzvah is alive, then the mitzvah can soar. But if, but if you, if you do the mitzvah without energy, without love, Let's say all you have is a good thought. In your mind. In your mind you're aware. All you have is awareness. I'm aware that God is my father. Does it excite me? No. Is my heart on fire? No. But I'm aware of it. And I acknowledge it. And I accept it. But to say that I'm passionately in love and my heart is melting with ecstasy and with love and with fervor, it's just not like that. So therefore, it doesn't really influence the action. The actions are cold actions, dry. I'm doing the action, but it's lifeless. It's like, in my mind, I have that awareness. I have that focus, that concentration, that awareness, that kavan, I know that God is my Father and that we have this relationship and this very profound and deep and unconditional and infinite relationship. But to say that I'm on fire and I'm excited about it, no, I don't feel anything in my heart. Nothing stirs inside my heart. It's up here. What
2: if you do it for ego?
1: So that's to, no, no, not ego. Not, not ego. ego. I'm thinking about God. I'm thinking about God as my father. I have a relationship with my father and a parent child. I'm ready to do anything for my father. But it's cerebral, it's intellectual, it's abstract, it's cold. You know, like the intellectual is a very cold person versus the emotional, passionate person is warm and alive. Actions are influenced by the heart. The emotional person, when you talk about something that you love or you care about, you get excited about, the words are passionate, the speech is passionate, it's a different speech. When you do action and you're doing something that you love to do, it's a different action. The actions are alive. Versus if it's cerebral and mental and it's abstract, it's distant, it's remote, just like the intellectual is a remote person. He's not available. So remotely, yes, I'm aware that God is my father, but my actions are very cold. Because it skips my heart. It's in my head. And based on my awareness, I make a decision. Okay, I'm going to study Torah and do mitzvot. But to say that it's alive, that I'm uh, I'm passionate and alive, and I'm burning with flames, with fire. No, I don't feel any fire. And I don't feel any flames. And nothing is stirring in my heart. It's just an awareness and an acceptance in my mind. An intellectual acceptance. And based on that, I go forward and act appropriately. I go ahead and do the Torah and do the mitzvah based on that intellectual idea. But the mitzvah itself is like dead. There's no life in it. There's no passion. The mind doesn't translate into the action. It, actually, it translates, it gets me to act, but it doesn't directly, it's indirect. It doesn't directly influence. The heart directly influences the action. The action comes alive. The mind doesn't make the action come alive. So that's what the Talmud is hinting at. Nevertheless, if a Jew has a positive thought, uh, an awareness. And based on that awareness, you went ahead and acted and did the right thing. Hashem will connect the two. So I have action, I have thought, but there's no connection. I don't see the connection of the action, the intention in the action. Hashem nevertheless goes ahead and connects the two. So that's what he's saying that even though it was your mouth, your voice, that aroused that aroused some feeling but not really it wasn't a real stirring of the heart it was more like an awareness a stirring of the mind but not in the heart but it led me to last place to act so nevertheless Hashem will consider as if the mitzvah was done with energy as if this mitzvah has an energy that can cause the mitzvah to soar to take off it can leave this world and the mitzvah can be elevated to the higher worlds to the higher realms to the spiritual realms the mitzvah comes alive. Only God can do that. Because God sees deep down within a Jew's heart. And God knows that deep down, a Jew is on fire. Even if you don't feel it. But deep down, you are on fire. Even if you feel nothing in your heart. You feel dead inside. But your soul is on fire. Whether you feel it or not, it doesn't change the reality. There's so much more going on inside of us. It meets the eye. Thank God we're not who we think we are. There's so much going on. What we are aware of is just is this tip of the tip of the tip of the iceberg. So much more is going on beneath our surface. The soul has a life of its own. The soul is on fire 24-7. So when God sees that you're sincere, and God sees that you have the proper awareness and the proper intention, and based on that aware- and you're taking it seriously, based on that awareness, you're changing your lifestyle. You're actually going ahead and doing the right thing. Based on that awareness, then Hashem already connects. Hashem, who knows the inside of the heart, the inside of the soul, reveals that really you are on fire. And therefore your actions, even though the human eye, the naked eye, doesn't see anything, the naked eye looks at this mitzvah and he says, "Uh, A cold mitzvah. You're going through the motions. It's just technical and mechanical. What religious significance could this mitzvah have if I'm just doing it and my heart is not into it? Based on an an intention and an awareness. Hashem says, don't be fooled. Hashem sees things that we can't see. Hashem sees in this mitzvah the fire. He sees the energy. And therefore this mitzvah soars. As if you would have done this mitzvah with heart and soul. Because deep down you are doing it with heart. Soul, even if you don't feel it. So Hashem makes that connection. So that's what he's saying here. So Even though you don't feel anything in your heart. It's a, and that's why it's illusory. Because it's not, it's not, I'm not really on fire. Even when I close my eyes and I have these conditions and I, I, I'm aware of it, but it's not like I'm really on fire. I'm burning up with passion. And fire. It's an awareness. It's an intention. It's more cerebral, more abstract than I'm jumping with joy and I'm dancing with joy. Come on, let's be honest. But nevertheless, since it, got, it, it motivates you to act, Hashem will already make all the connections take a last question, and then to be continued.
3: there's a lot of things that Hashem does that we don't really understand, and it looks actually damaging, but we know it's very good. And in that sense, I guess you can look also on parents sometime, and, and, and also give them that benefit of the doubt, you know, that they did meant you know, good, or, or there's a good, there's a greater good, but it's just not apparent. You can see it. it seems-
1: Truth is, it, it takes a that takes a very great person to be able to step back and realize, you know, parents are shaped by their parents. You know, if we think about the world that our parents came from, what they had to live through as immigrants to a foreign country, I mean, you know, it's 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 a miracle that they functioned altogether. So you, know, you have to appreciate it. You, you know, you have to realize, take everything into consideration. How they grew up, what a harsh life they lived, the conditions that they grew up in. I mean, they they did the best that they knew. They didn't know any better. They never studied Hasidus. They never had Tanya. They never had all. They were never exposed to any of this stuff. And yet, they they tried the best that they knew. They didn't know any better. You know, you you always have to be, it's a greatness of a person to be able to step back a minute and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, let me put things into perspective. They tried the best that they can, and it's a miracle the way they grew up. Who knows how damaged they were as children, how they grew up, how they were treated, you know, beaten, spanked. Who knows how they grew up with harshness and, you know, it's enough to wither anyone's soul, very little love. And, you know, so you have to, you have to be a little, but that takes a greatness to be able to do it. You know, when you're in pain, and you're suffering so much, it's very hard for you to step back and to be so big, be such big of a person and be able to say that about your parents. It's a very loving thing not to be judgmental and to be able to really step back. It takes a very great person to be able to do that. And you're right, ultimately everything is divine providence. Ultimately, whatever happens to us ultimately is by divine providence. Ultimately, it's for our good. And in a way, we become stronger from all these experiences. You know, if we learn to not to be paralyzed by these experiences not to become dysfunctional as a result of these experiences then they could only strengthen us and as Jews who have faith we have to believe in that That, that's our faith ultimately God is good to us why did God put us under such circumstances God is not out to hurt us so we didn't choose these circumstances due to no fault of our own if God gave us these circumstances ultimately just like pain and suffering ultimately it's for our good we may not see it but ultimately if we learn instead of to wallow in our pain and feel sorry for ourselves and become dysfunctional and use that as an excuse for being dysfunctional and uh, to carry on the same dysfunction um, if we really make something of ourselves and and, and not be paralyzed by it then you'll look back you'll see you only became stronger as a result of this whole experience, once you learn to rise above it. So,
4: how far back does it go?
1: You know. All the way to Adam, the <laughs> <your> first sin. Adam <laughs> and Are you kidding? They every, feel every,
4: the same. Every mother gives Absolutely. Do they feel the same sort Absolutely. of we're feeling, you know? I couldn't. In other words, you go back and back and back. I mean,
1: Every mother gives birth to a child <laughs> d- during child labor. Curs- mean, curses we take, have We take
4: uh, Leah, <laughs> uh, you know. Unfortunately, Leah, you know, what she had to suffer through compared to Rachel, right? I mean, yeah. You know.
1: You know, that's what we say. We sinned. And my father sinned. Our parents sinned. But what are we saying? Our parents sinned. Why are you insulting your parents? <laughs> you want to confess your sins? Confess your sins. Why are you schlepping your parents into this? The answer is because the fact that we're still sinning means that there is, we were affected by the previous generation. Because you know, all, we all affect each other. We, we don't live, we're not in a vacuum. If our parents would not have sinned, if they were perfect, we would also be perfect. It's... it's, it's we're all affected. We all affect each other, and we are affected. So them, it won't hurt already because they're already in the world to come, and they're already they're ready in the yeah. next world. So, but, so we want to say, "Tashem, listen, Hashem, a little, a little mitigating." Uh, Hashem, listen, you know, we came from a dysfunctional. Uh, our parents were a little dysfunctional, so what do you, what do you expect us? The world is dysfunctional. Uh, our ancestors are a little dysfunctional, so you expect us all to be perfect and sadikim. You know, take it into account. If we're trying to give a little mitigating. Uh,